Unbound Theatre presents The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier From the Depths Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson Chapter 11. The Timeline The Professor's timeship surged along the temporal river that runs across space, the silver tide shimmering all around her. She worked diligently at the controls. Usually she calculated her voyages in centuries, but her current undertaking spanned only a few years. Her calculations needed to be perfect. February, 1892 the audience at the St. James's Theatre were on their feet, their cheering and applause thundering around the auditorium. On the stage, before a line of beaming actors, stood Oscar Wilde. One arm cradled a clutch of bouquets, whilst the other he waved to his adoring public. Out of the corner of his eye he could see the woman. He was certain it was her. That face again. He tried not to appear thrown as he waved to thank the jubilant crowd, but kept glancing back at the aisle to try and focus on the mysterious audience member. Only now there was no sign of her. He was certain she had been there, joining in with the applause. The woman in the broad-brimmed hat. The professor once again hunched over the controls of her ship. The opening night of Oscar's first great theatrical success had gone ahead uninterrupted. She tried to recall as much as she could of the biography she'd read. Waylon was certain to be looking at turning points. Oscar's plays had made him the doyen of London's elite, a figurehead of society, but the editor had been absent from each opening night. He was aiming for somewhere earlier. What else had shaped the man she'd respected and admired so much? If not his theatrical success, then perhaps the beginning of the relationship that she knew in 1895 would begin to undo him. September, 1891 in a dimly lit club somewhere in the disreputable quarter of London, Oscar adjusted the Venetian mask covering his face. He was all for pageantry and opulence, but discomfort was simply intolerable. A pair of gentle hands reached up and tenderly straightened his costume. Stop fussing, Bosie chided playfully. It's irritating, protested Oscar. It won't be on for long, whispered Bosie in his ear, letting his hands sink to Oscar's chest. He made a point of straightening his lover's jacket and then allowed himself to be led by the arm into the main hall. Though clandestine, the party was still suitably lavish. Sumptuously decorated tables of exotic food lined the room and a chandelier of darkened glass hung from the ceiling. The place was filled with young men, all dressed in their foppish finery and ornately decorated masks. Oscar felt somewhat adrift at not commanding a reaction from entering the room. That was not how a party should be but quickly realised that the other party-goers had no eyes for any but each other. No young reveller was unaccompanied. Many were standing in a tight embrace with one another, swaying to the music being played by a modest band at the end of the room. Others were feeding each other choice cuts from the buffet, taking their time to savour the sensation. 
Oscar and Bosey walked slowly through the distracted crowd, and Oscar turned to observe two young men laying on a sofa. Their masks, among other articles, lay discarded on the floor. So it's that sort of party, is it? Oscar asked Bosey, his brow arched theatrically above his mask. Bosey flashed a mischievous smile, the one that made Oscar's skin tingle. It will be, Oscar, he replied. It will be. Oscar picked up a glass of champagne as he passed a table. The masked waitress standing behind it nodded respectfully. Oscar moved away but paused and turned back. She was handing drinks to a gaggle of young men. Her hair was slicked back from the temples, but Oscar was certain he could see a silver streak hiding beneath the darker strands. Could it be... Don't waste time on the staff, Bosie told him, pulling him away. I've got a lot of people for you to get acquainted with. Taking a sip of his champagne, Oscar turned and walked away. The professor's mask hung from the controls of her ship. Turning a dial with one hand and ruffling her hair with another, she plotted her next landing. Once again there had been no sign of Waylon. She'd watched Oscar and Bosie descend into drunkenness as the hedonistic indulgences of the night overcame the social niceties of the party. She had kept her distance and monitored the exits. Bosie loomed large in Wilde's life. Even after the tumult of his legal battles to come, Oscar would return to him. A storm raged through the two men's relationship, but at the eye of it there was undoubtedly a shared sense of belonging. Something that she knew, despite being swathed in an unravelling deception, was for both men undeniably true. She needed another turning point, another anchor in Oscar's life. August, 1890 Hyde Park was packed with happy crowds enjoying the brilliant summer sunshine. Some distance apart from the great throng of people, Oscar lifted his son Cyril up into his arms and held him high above his head, turning slowly on the spot and beaming with joy at the sound of the boy's laughter. With a playful roar he dropped his arms so that Cyril's feet were almost touching the ground again, then launched him back towards the sky. Mere feet away, under the shade of a tree, sat Constance, Oscar's wife. She was helping their younger son Vivian put together an assortment of twigs and leaves he'd collected from the hedgerows and flowerbeds, fashioning them into a castle the young boy imagined all manner of insects might be delighted to call home. Oscar set Cyril down onto the ground, and the boy ran to assist his younger brother. Oscar followed and lay on the grass beside Constance. Without saying a word, he leaned over and kissed her. Oscar, she said with a hint of playful embarrassment, in public of all places. The wonderful thing about passers-by, Oscar replied conspiratorially, is that in an instant they've passed by, and one needn't spare them another thought. And what if they should fail to pass by but make a point of dwelling on the matter in hand? Constance asked, already certain of the reply. Then one must ensure they see something worth stopping for, Oscar answered, and leant over to kiss her again. After enjoying a lingering look into her eyes, he turned his attention to the under-construction fortress of foliage. Now that, he declared, is a castle fit for a very happy prince. Cyril's eyes widened. It was time for a story. Gathered together in the shade, Oscar's family listened as he began his fairy tale, and all the while, passing by from time to time, not entirely unnoticed by Oscar, was the woman in the broad-brimmed hat. How many more moments were there, the professor wondered? How many landmarks in Oscar's life that Waylon could unravel?
All had been well in the day she had observed so far. Oscar's literary career had proceeded as history recorded. An essayist who turned his hand to a sensational novel and then to a series of socially astute plays. He had embarked on the affair that would shape the latter years of his life, and he had married the woman whom, in spite of his romance with Bosie, the professor knew Oscar dearly loved. The world, she considered, would not comprehend nor sanction the dichotomy of Oscar's love, at least not during the century in which she and Oscar had lived. The professor, however, had seen that things would change as the tides of time began to turn, not quickly and not easily, but the world would grow up. It was a world, she thought to herself, she dearly wished she could show him, to fill his heart in the way it had hers. Waylon was heading even further back along the timeline. He meant to disrupt causality before Oscar's success. What was the first great instant in which his life changed, she asked herself. When did he emerge as the man who would make a mark upon history? When, the professor wondered, did Oscar Wilde truly become Oscar Wilde? April, 1882 Oscar stepped into the reception room of the hotel and every pair of eyes turned to look at him. There was a momentary silence and then applause erupted from every pair of hands. Oscar smiled and lifted the velvet hat from his head, bowing elaborately whilst leaning on his cane. A waiter stepped forward with a silver salver bearing a single glass, which Oscar took with a graceful nod of the head. The applause slowly faded away, and the room was once again filled with chatter, an excited dissection of the lecture the esteemed Mr Wilde had given no more than an hour ago on what had been termed the English Renaissance. Oscar's views on society, art, and the sheer incandescence of existence had gone down a storm. In England he had been parodied, not that he minded. Here in America, he was celebrated. Across the hall, the professor made her way slowly through the assembled crowd, having barely been able to see Oscar when he'd entered. One or two attendees glared at her less than immaculate attire, but she simply ignored them. She caught sight of Oscar, a much younger man than she had seen before, clearly in the flush of success. He swept through the room, taking in as many well-wishers and admirers as he could, with flamboyant waves of his hand and verbose greetings. Truly, she thought, this was a man who was sure of himself. He had built no defence around himself. Here, so far from home, he could simply be. It was, the professor thought, like seeing a bird flying out of its cage. A clatter of cutlery across the other side of the room drew her attention away from Oscar. She followed the sound and saw a waiter sorting out knives and forks at one of the tables. Her heart pounded in her chest when another waiter approached him handing over a salver of empty glasses. It was Waylon. She ducked for cover behind a crowd of chattering socialites. Finally, the editor was making his move. He was going to rewrite Oscar's life before his greatest literary achievements had come to pass. She thought back to Ravel's plan for Jane Austen. Waylon and his editors had, no doubt, secured themselves copies of Oscar's writings and isolated them outside of the timeline where causality could not reach them. Was that, she wondered, why her chronometer gave no reading at the agency? Was it somehow beyond the reach of time? She focused in on Waylon. How would he do it? What plan could he have formed to get close enough to Oscar to carry out the deed? She looked over at the star guest to ensure he was still safe, and froze at the sight of the champagne glass in his hand. The glass. The champagne. Waylon had poisoned it. 
She dived across the room, barrelling through crowds to reach Oscar. Don't drink it, she yelled, and managed to knock the glass from his hand. He spun around in alarm and regarded the panicked face and unruly mop of dark hair streaked with silver underneath a battered broad-brimmed hat. He considered the smashed glass on the floor. Well, how's that for a recommendation? He grinned and looked around at the many people who had fallen silent at the interruption. They laughed and applauded Oscar again before returning to their conversations. To what do I owe the pleasure? Oscar asked. No time. We need to leave, said the professor, reaching out and grasping his hand. Indeed you both do, Wayland chimed. The sound of a blaster powering up was followed by a chorus of screams as terrified socialites dashed for cover, leaving him facing the professor and Oscar. You really are quite the committed stick in the mud, aren't you? Wayland spat at the professor. Her attention was fixed on the weapon he had trained on them. It was not the blaster she recognised from the Albemarle. He noticed her interest. Stopped off at the agency on my way here, he explained. Somehow I figured I might need to drop the covert act. To hell with subtlety. One blast of this and that's you erased from the timelines for good. After I bag my prize, of course. Waylon levelled the gun at Oscar and shot him in the chest. The Chronicles of Professor Cronomier, From the Depths. An unbound theatre production, written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson, with music by Kevin MacLeod.